Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode four of the Adventurers Assemble Campaign Diaries. We're taking a little bit of a different approach for a couple of episodes here uh, for the fourth episode of Curse of Strahd, as well as Adventurers Assemble, in that for the first part of this episode, we're going to do a deep dive into one of the characters from each party. For Curse of Strahd, that was uh, my half-elf rogue, Jagger, who... We've already gotten to hear a lot about because given its conversations between Steven and oh, me, yeah, I've been sure. able to frame a lot of things through his experience. For this conversation for Adventurers Assemble, we're going to get to hear from one of the characters that you can see in the art accompanying this podcast. She is down front, bottom center, Ada the Half-Elf Artificer, uh, played by a friend who you have already heard on the podcast, Megan Bracker. Welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Can I point out that there's two half-elves? What is it with elves and getting frisky with other races? <laughs> it's just weird. <laughs> I'm I started I started to answer another question and it wasn't that one <laughs> as we were getting going because I, I thought you were going to ask why are we starting with two half elves but okay no no that's uh, not what I asked no no it isn't <laughs> no. okay so anyway we are starting with two half elves and we have an opportunity to talk about uh, how you built Ada uh, kind of some of our back and forth we kind of had a similar conversation Stephen and I talking about Jagger because you largely left me to my own devices for yeah, a for lot the most of the part. creation. Yeah, for the most part. And I largely did the same with you because you and Katie were the veteran players coming in. So it was my goal to help out three of the others and largely let you two come to the table with characters of your own creation. And I I probably provided similar help and answers to questions and guardrails that Stephen provided for me. But beyond that, uh, you got to do what you wanted to do. So... Yeah. Let's uh, talk about Ada a little bit, whether you want to talk about uh, some backstory elements, some why you chose uh, different aspects of her character throughout, some of the different abilities uh, that she brings to the table. Jagger, especially early on, was a straightforward, the roguiest rogue situation, an assassin. Fairly... That, that hasn't changed. No, okay, fair you're enough. Just, you're just a rogue who's also now becoming a witcher. Okay, fair enough. Like, in all honesty. <laughs> <laughs> but... When it comes to Ada, of course, she's an artificer. You have some spell casting in the mix there. There's a few extra things that we can dive into, and I'll let you uh, talk about what you want to discuss. So when I was making Ada, I was so excited that you were kind of giving me free reign with a little bit of like looking into a relatively unexplored class, at least on my part. I hadn't done artificer before, which is part of the reason why I went for it, because I was like, okay, this is something new. With this party in particular being new players, it wouldn't really uneven the playing field as much and it would make it so we're all kind of exploring new characters and how they operate. And so I started out with class and then built her from there. So she's actually probably the character for me that's closest to myself as a person. <laughs> I've discovered as we go along. Don't you love that yes. when you, you're building a new character and then it just kind of sort of turns into you? Yes. Like you playing a bard in the Shush. same campaign. <laughs> Shush. Um, I wasn't trying. Yeah. Before I'd always played characters that were almost my opposites. I'd play barbarians i played a little chaotic ghost at one point which ben got to meet with ada it was a different tone so i went kind of more of like a crafter somebody who was passionate about building somebody who's like a bit of a gentle soul still but like loves being a powerhouse when she can and so that's kind of where i started and then i 
built her character because during one of our conversations, Ben, you mentioned about Siv being an elf, me having chosen half-elf. And so that started her backstory of them being childhood friends. Her backstory, which hasn't really gotten to come out a ton in the story yet, she's kind of quiet about it, is that she grew up raised by the elven side of her family after her parents died in a shipwreck. So she is extremely afraid of water, extremely afraid of boats, which makes these next few sessions an interesting time for her. She at first didn't know much at all about the human side of her family until she found, I believe it was like an old diary I wrote about that kind of explained that her father was related to some smiths and so she wanted to explore that part of her origins thus learning foraging and becoming an artificer learning from a local dwarf smith nearby where she grew up so that's kind of her origins as a person I didn't want to go too deep because I just kind of wanted to explore her character as she grows but it was really really fun to be able to have that freedom to just try all sorts of different things as far as her abilities and exploring the class itself. That was the most fun, I think. One thing you mentioned that gave me an opportunity as a DM, just with the the people we started with, was the fact that, okay, Ada is paired up with Siv. We're pairing up our half-elf artificer with our elven fighter, but we're pairing up two players who don't really know each other. So mm-hmm. I was able to take where, okay, there might be a logical social divide in the group because you and Larissa know each other really well. And then Melissa, Nicole, and Katie all knew each other. So it was a question of, okay, let's pair up Gorg and Delilah, which pairs up Larissa and Melissa. Let's pair up Ada and Siv, which pairs up you and Nicole. And so players who don't know each other have an opportunity to get to know each other. And then the only free agent at that point was Noreen, our tiefling sorcerer, and that kind of fits her vibe. Yeah. So Very secretive. there was our party of five uh, all coming together because these are where you really get into some of the bread and butter of making a character your own. What drew you to some of the spells you selected for Ada as well as the particular subclass you ended up going with? And I'm trying to remember now because it feels like a chicken or the egg situation. I can't remember if I gave you the force gauntlet and then you just happened to go with the battle engineer subclass or if you had thrown that at me early on and then we kind of got its a, a prologue to it with you already having a weapon covering a portion of your right arm. Yeah, I think it was the gauntlet came first, I think. And then I found the class and we looked at it and we both kind of, I remember messaging you and we we're both kind of like, oh my gosh, this is perfect. Let's run with it. Which has been so so much fun just running with her abilities and homebrewing some things for it just to make it all that much more extra the past year of seeing that develop like i have not had a character that went so much into the background and the subclass as ada's has which i think has really diversified her abilities so that's been really fun well, and if, and if we're comparing characters to Avengers, which is always fun to do, I mean, obviously, Gorg is kind of our kind of our Avengers endgame thick Thor. Yes, D- absolutely. Then, I mean, any any rogue, you're going to end up making a Black Widow comparison at some point. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, But then, at least from 
the right shoulder down at this point. Ada's the party Iron Man for yes. sure. You don't have the attitude, though. <laughs> well, yeah, that's okay. but I do have Comes the, out in the right circumstances. love of making highly destructive items. <laughs> yeah, that, right? No, that's that's pretty true. One of the things that I, we discussed briefly when we were recording Curse of Strad was how, honestly, how important backgrounds are to the character. Yes. And our, we were lamenting a little bit that it feels like, particularly when you're using D&D Beyond or any digital creation, uh, device it feels like those options get minimalized but as you start really diving into characters when you're using classes like artificer when you're diving into those more complex classes that were added after the advent of fifth edition after the regular base group has been out for a little while because you didn't get artificer as a class until Tasha's Cauldron? Yeah, yeah, that's what it's in. Which is, you know, it was like only two or three years into 5th edition being out. But still, then that's that class is going to be a little bit more complicated. Your character is going to be built differently and be geared differently to really serve the class. But your background can be just as important. And so it's kind of interesting where you, you know, with a barbarian or with a fighter, your class doesn't have as much of an impact on your character as it feels to me. But for some of these more recent classes additions to fifth edition it feels like the class is going to have a lot more impact on your character kind of the same way as a paladin should really you should, that should really impact how you play bard should really impact how you play our artificer probably the same deal and so listening to you talk about how important your backstory was in getting you to your class is is an interesting concept because when you're looking at a barbarian or you're looking at a fighter or even a rogue the backstory doesn't necessarily have to get you to your class but for things like wizards and paladins and artificers and monks you your <laughs> yeah. backstory has to get you to the class so that's you know just a note not even necessarily a talking point other than an observation there's always opportunities presented when a character comes to the dm with really good backstory material as you did with ada and as i'm fleshing out the journey we're going on here especially having other events along with it set into motion as a result of the Venom Crawler bite in session one, we were in a situation where I was looking ahead at, at what was coming at you guys, and it's like, okay, we're going to have this protection of Ornoweros on an airship. We're going to have this magical investigation. We're going to have a lot of things that pull Ada to the forefront of the story, which is why I'm really glad that we're talking to you right now as we kind of start off this arc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is, although, is there any other character thing you wanted to talk about with Ada that I haven't prompted? I just realized I hadn't really <laughs> answered your question about her spells, really. Because that's oh, the yeah. interesting thing with the Artificer class is it's not only about weapons building and working with the party to enhance the party as a whole via the tools that we have. I had a good bit of a time trying to figure out what kind of spells made sense for her as a primarily a builder so we did discover early on especially after the spiders that we needed some healing spells so for a while there she was kind of our only healer <laughs> yeah has that changed uh kind of i mean we well, have well we <laughs> yeah we have a healer and uh 
I don't want to give anything away for a future episode, but obviously it's Casey's character. Oh, so now yes? Question mark. (laughs) The bard can heal. Well, that's just it. Like so many of you dip into it a little bit, (laughs) and and I guess and that's that's kind of a D and D stereotype that I'm glad we're avoiding. Like like we don't have the clear this character is the healer. healer. This is all they do. Everybody has some healing components in their kit for the most part. Yeah, either to heal themselves or to heal their allies. Yeah. I think it's more fun when your party doesn't fall into clearly defined stereotypes all the time. Like, obviously, you've got your tanks or yeah. tank. Well, and that's another bit of just irony as I'm thinking about some of the uh, enemies that we were facing off against in the early part of this campaign. For as much frontline punishment <laughs> as Gorg takes and Siv takes, I think Delilah killed the first monster and you killed the first boss when you got the Emperor of Bones with a very well-placed catapult spell and his Crowbar vulnerability to, to bludgeoning damage. Yeah. <laughs> That's the point. Your front line isn't there to kill the, the monsters or even the bosses. They're mm-hmm. there to soak up the damage so your striker classes and your spellcasting classes can do the damage, usually. The only class that really breaks that stereotype of being a frontliner and damage output is the paladin. Because mm-hmm. paladin... In paladins. <laughs> God, that's, the smite is so overpowered. Okay, I love it. The smite is so overpowered. It's the the. I think I'm thinking of a D and D Incredibles meme that turned the Incredibles two math is math into smite is smite. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you can hear Craig T. Nelson saying that <laughs> seriously would be amazing. Anyway, um, but that's I, that's really the only that's your, the point of your front line. Your front mm-hmm. line is there to soak up damage, keep things pinned down, and then your spellcasters and your strikers are there to, to to kill things. Yeah. And then as we've continued to develop with Ada, you've kind of gotten to the point where you can do a bit of both. Yes. Very much so. With that, are we ready to kind of dive into where we last saw our heroes yes. and dive into the story side of this? So this particular session is called the Night of Mercy because you will eventually end up at a casino and that's coming out of nowhere because I don't think I set this up what? during our last Alan episode. The casino? <laughs> you guys could go back there. It's actually adjacent to Murktown thanks to the magic shop, the Ruby Moon, because it has the two locations, one nope. in Rubia and I'm one in Murktown. A, I'm adding a casino to the pipe and swallow now. <laughs> Watch me. <laughs> oh, my goodness. The story picks up with the party having just dispatched this swarm of coins that was bringing to life furniture, random items throughout uh, this magic shop, which had previously served as a location to get you guys from one place to another. When Ada was bitten by a venom crawler and dropped to zero HP, that happened in Murktown. And then she was brought back by all appearances, a fellow artificer uh, named Orner Weros in a completely different city uh, connected via this magic shop with two locations and an enchantment. And it is that magic shop and its owner that the party has just come to the rescue of. And now you guys have the opportunity to talk with Dolhov and to kind of figure out what the heck was going on here. Though now for three episodes, Steven and I as DMs have gotten to share what our perspective was like on some of these ridiculous things we throw at our players what were your thoughts coming off of this battle? Like, like you fight what's basically, what do we call the, the Emperor Bones? A lich light. And then coming into this fighting furniture in a coins form. Like, I just would be very curious to know where your headspace was at as a player and then as to an extent where Ada's was as well. As a player, like, 
I was so excited because that's where I realized, oh, this is going to be a very versatile campaign. There is so much that can possibly happen in this world, and it's always going to be a surprise because I was not anticipating that at all <laughs> when we first walked in and he said, oh, yeah, there's moving furniture. I was like, oh, my gosh, we are now in a Disney <laughs> scenario. This session in particular between the moving furniture and the casino changed the tone entirely for me as a player. Yeah. At that point, we're somewhere between Fantasia and WrestleMania. Yes. <laughs> And for Ada, she's... No, no, no. Hang on. <laughs> what? <laughs> as in a magically floating piece of furniture that also could be used as a weapon. Yes. Oh, good grief. Especially where Gork it is, is concerned. Because <laughs> I believe... Call the Brood Squad. Yeah. I'm on the Brood Squad. You are the Brood Squad. Oh, great. <laughs> Uh, and I do believe this battle, Gorg actually passed out as well. So that was quite interesting. Like, we're fighting magic furniture. Our barbarian is down. We don't know what's triggered this anything. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Because that uh, animated bed that had Dolhoff incapacitated could incapacitate two characters. And as I was looking at it, I was like, okay. It could, I, I think, and maybe on some level, I think I targeted Gorg. Well, again, this is new DM thinking here because I think I targeted Gorg because he was more powerful. And I thought, okay, if I go after Delilah or Noreen, it would probably take them out easily. I probably didn't want to go after you because I didn't want you to think I was picking on you <laughs> after the Venom Crawlers. So I went after Gorg, and what the new DM me probably didn't realize was the save he had to make to avoid the bed was not a save he was good at. Yes. <laughs> so it, it was so, a sleep number, wasn't it? It just it took him out immediately, yeah. Best night's sleep you'll ever get. <laughs> I'm not I'm not uh, advertising. Or I was going to say, yeah, yeah no, we didn't, no money has been exchanged on that one. Not a sponsor. Anyway. Not a sponsor. That fight being total chaos and kind of a wonderful bit of glue between the different situations you guys were in was lovely and then it gave me an opportunity to kind of start to fill in some gaps and like and this is kind of coming behind the screen a little bit I had to figure out what information Dolhov would have and what stories he could tell you guys and what connections he could make based off of one what you were able to find and two what I wanted you to know because it was kind of the first opportunity to seed conflicts that would come later, especially with the connection to Gilder's Hold. Maybe one of the most significant things as a result of this, because you just saved the owner of a magic shop, he gave the party your first bag of holding in thanks for rescuing him and his shop. I love those things. Mm -hmm. The only thing better is when you enchant it so that stuff doesn't go bad inside of said bag of holding. That is fair. This was kind of our first encounter with a foe that was very proficient in magic. Because even though we fought against the Emperor Bones, he was still more of a combat. This was more delving into like, oh, we've got a powerful magic user going on somewhere and we don't know who it is. <laughs> you realized as uh, Dolhov and his uh, Metal Owl Argo are taking account of things that an object was stolen. There is an orb of magical focusing that Dolhov explained was taken from the shop, and it can create an area around itself as large as the caster desires to contain the effect of a ritual. That's how he explained it. 
when you guys investigated where that orb had been, you saw a room shrouded in shadow. There was a metal clanking and it looked like you were seeing the perspective through many eyes and you could see a creature gnashing against the bars of a cage. But otherwise, the space was quiet. Looking ahead a little bit, uh, given what you would discover later, this was our first peek into Yostix's workshop. So party wouldn't have known that, but again, getting our first lens into, okay, this is a connection to this orb. Then the coin swarm, given how it could bring to life all of the coins around it and it was unleashed in a retail establishment, uh, Dolhov quickly assessed, you know, if you wanted to kill half a city, you would drop one of these in a treasury <laughs> because the golem it would create would be absurdly massive and capable of great destruction. Good gods. <laughs> or even worse, a dragon's horde. Uh-huh. Also, I, problem. I have a solution for that. <laughs> called pay to play magic item <laughs> i'll tell you about it later you did get a sense of who cursed the coin and i gave you guys white hair bald kind of wild in its style from the back and i don't think anyone rolled a high enough history check at that point to establish that you had seen yastics on your first night in Burktown. nope but that was the first opportunity where that could have come up yeah, and that's something this session really helped me realize was how many breadcrumbs you'd been leaving us so far. This is where it started to pay off a bit. Because that's one thing, especially after like this whole over a year now of doing this campaign, you've kept consistent is leaving us breadcrumbs where we're just like, oh my gosh, we missed that. <laughs> well, and that's where again, and this is something I wanted to talk about with this particular arc is it's just weaving the A plot, the B plot, the C plot. Where are we? What's important? What's right in front of the characters? What doesn't seem important right now, but is going to suddenly come flying right back in your face at a later point. And the robbery of this shop and the fight you just had is very much the A plot. But in terms of when you guys were going to get to Gilder's Hold, which is a connection Dolhov helped you make as you see these different visions, you see these towers and this small village on a lake, and he's able to assess, oh, I... I, I I grew up there. I spent some of my formative years there. I remember having a good friend who was an artificer uh, who sadly is no longer around, who used to live there and making that connection. And having that all woven in as the A plot very soon becomes the B plot. Then I think one other piece of info I was able to give you guys was you got to see a visual backlit of the thief and you just saw an extraordinarily large being probably upwards of eight to nine feet tall with his head on the ceiling and kind of a very unsettling voice when he realized someone was using magic to try to pick up on him. And then just as quickly as you got a line on him, the vision vanished. Then from there, we're moving on to guarding Weros. So that feels like our B plot, but that it was very quickly about to become the A plot. I will just say, as a point of fun, we gave you so much chaos in this. I think we very much embraced the chaoticness of, we just fought magic furniture. Because I remember Larissa getting into this discussion with Melissa about, I just want to eat the coin. <laughs> Actually, that was Nicole. Oh, Nicole. Because <laughs> no, I remember Gorg did too. 
I, they... Siv was the one who actually attempted to ingest it and then very quickly had to vomit it up. It's a yes. cursed magic item. I thought that was abundantly clear. Yes. Yeah, don't, I think don't it almost got those. swallowed like That's two or three times. <laughs> I don't even want to consider what that coin would do to somebody's intestines. Yeah. That triggered one of the visions as well. Yep. Yep, nope, that, that was sense. good enough. Oh, my word, Freaking yeah. Cursed item. Let's mm. eat it. <laughs> That's very Hang much on. our, especially early days version of our party. It was very off the wall, wonderful. Like, Hey, I mean, you you met my character when I got thrown out of a window. Yes, and landed so, I mean, on Cork. <laughs> it's par for the course at this point. Mm-hmm. None well, of this is surprising. Well, when I was telling you about them going into the shrine to rescue children, it's like, oh, you have a lawful good party. And I was like, no. <laughs> no. We stumble we into being cha- We have a chaotic good, good party. <laughs> and that'll become very clear eventually. Well, I told you my very first D&D ca- uh, character that I ever played was chaotic stupid. Mm-hmm. I loved playing chaotic stupid. Are you kidding me? It gave you the most options. After you guys got to... And th- the other fun thing for me as a DM was this was my first time getting to build a magic shop. Yeah, It's like, okay, what are all of the things you could potentially inquire about that's actually in this inventory what is he willing to potentially give you at a discount after rescuing him opportunity to load up on some things you met very briefly i didn't spend an abundance of time on this again kind of the b plot a plot thing because ada getting healed kind of happened in the background and then we were still dealing with everything that was happening in murktown so siv and ada had met ornoweros and his uh, right-hand man, Gorved Icefell. And Gorved was going to meet you as a point of contact to give you the information you needed to accompany Weros on a journey to the city of Knotside. He was going to fly there via airship from the city of Orbea. And so again, we're continuing to pump in more and more into this world. It's like, oh, we have a flying mission coming up. Cool, okay. And you have a new city. You're going to be going to a casino to meet him. It's actually a temple, but it's to a temple to the god of good luck. So it's basically a casino. And then I, again, am trying to come up with marketplaces, shops for different things you might need, uh, creating an entire dress and formal wear shop so that the party uh, could look the part coming in. Uh, because the Temple of Zutan is uh, hosted by a a Mr. Talus Mercy, or Count Mercy as he goes by. Uh, who is throwing a party where everyone is uh, expected to dress formally as well as formal versions of monsters. So everyone is coming in with elaborate dress and hair and makeup and different motifs. Yes? <laughs> You're giving me a face. I want to hear your thoughts. Talus Murphy Mercy? Yes. This is voiced by Talus and Jaffe, right? Uh, actually, the, <laughs> the visual I was going for, let me see if it's actually in my notes. Because that's all, that's all I'm hearing right now is, is Percy. Actually, my visual on him was probably Jack Black. Oh, goodness. <laughs> I, actually, I just found it in my notes. Count Talus Mercy in appearance is dressed like a cross between a lich, a luchador, and a male stripper. Oh, man. <laughs> the fact that it's now, so it's, there's now your it's host of Jack the party. Black in my brain. So. <laughs> yep, cool. Awesome. Good. You're welcome. So that's who's hosting this shindig. The party uh, did go through a dress shop to get back to Murktown, so you had a frame of reference for where to go. And this also gave everyone the opportunity to get a little bit creative. Noreen probably had the least creative route to go because she does not have to do too much to take on the appearance of a dragon. Yes. So that one was pretty straightforward. I'm trying to remember what route you went with Ada. Um, I was a merfolk because I do have in my inventory merfolk gown. 
um, because that played into the dance sequence that my character actually got to do. Because I'm trying to remember who that there was. There was a with. dance contest. Yes. I think it was you and Siv. Yeah, it was me and Siv because she was dressed, I think, as a tree. Yep. Yes. No, the amount of, I had, oh gosh, this party had people dressed as, let me get the list out. Gorved was there dressed as a werewolf. We had dryads, fire elementals, gargoyles, gnolls, stone golems, harpies, merfolk, mummies, uh, incubi and succubi, vampires, and some tree ants. So yeah, it was all over the place. <laughs> and Gorg so, was a um, something to do with frost and ice. I can't recall exactly. Oh, I think he. I think he dresses a frost giant. Yes, that yeah, was it. Absolutely. He was a Jotun. <laughs> <laughs> oh my word! And. So you guys get to go to this party. There's a dance contest where you're able to earn some money. There were casino games where we just rolled D60s, and if you matched a number, you got a, a significant amount of coin. And Delilah hit, and I remember calculating how much she would have just earned, and I was like, oh, that's like, what was it, close to like 4,000 gold yes. pieces. And we still are not have not run out of that coin a year later. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> yep. He's <laughs> become the our nice. party like money keeper. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to have to talk to them more. Well, now the one in possession of the majority of that. I, well, I think, didn't we hand it off to Ada recently? We split it between Ada and... Ada and Go- oh, we split yeah. between Ada and Gorg because Gorg still has the bag of holding. Yes. So yeah, the barbarian has it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is bad because he has a gambling addiction. Which was why I even threw the game in in the first place. It's like, because this is one thing that Larissa and I talked about. It's like, okay, Gorg likes gambling. Let's throw that in right out of the gate. This is an activity that I know for a fact he will do, and he might get some of the other party involved as well. Oh, if I remember so right, have, pretty much everybody yeah. played. Oh, yeah, 100%. So we had the gambling, the dance-off, and you do eventually finally meet Gorved in this elaborate wolf mask and like the, this fur kind of scarf wrapped around him. I, th- I think he was like muscular and bare chested otherwise so he looks absolutely ridiculous but he comes in and is able to give you hey you need a code word that i'm handing off to you or a code phrase and if you don't say it when you see Weros tomorrow he's not getting on the airship with you and so he told you have you climbed the tallest mountain he will ask you that and then you need to answer yes i have seen the green land below and i was very happy after gathering up character sheets after that session, seeing that written in multiple players' notes, making sure that you guys would have that right when we got to that interaction. Have I tried to climb? No, I've not climbed the tallest mountain, thank you. I don't climb mountains as a rule. It's dangerous, <laughs> cold, and uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, that was a code phrase. Then, as we continue to seed things, you guys spent the night at a very nice I mean, you after several nights in taverns, like this is actually closer to a honest to goodness hotel situation uh, in Orbea, uh, with these two statues. the The city of Orbea has a lot of mesas, so depending where you are during the day, you might just be completely shrouded in shadow because this enormous part of the city is blocking out the light for a part of the day. And one of these mesas has been carved to look like the visage of a man and woman. And so it's a two-sided hotel called the Sleeping Bride and the Restless Groom. And you guys stayed in one side of that. You met a cavalryman uh, leading a unit. There were a bunch of horses tied up uh, to posts outside uh, named Captain McCallus. And he was there, at least, again, DM perspective here, to let you guys know, hey, the city of Knotside is under lockdown. 
which was the first time that plot thread was dropped into the story. So session four, again, kind of getting a note of here's different places where we could go. Here's different scenarios that you guys might get to. It just might take a few dozen sessions. From there, I think you guys got your long rest, uh, got to take account of all everything you had. You didn't have an abundance of time because you had to be at the airfield at dawn. And so the next day you were getting on the ship. And so you met Weros, again, an older gnomish figure, kind of long white hair, very much wrapped up in a traveling cloak and trying to be somewhat inconspicuous uh, as he arrives with all of you to board the ship. And one thing I would like to lay out, Mm -hmm. at least for Ada, she very much trusted Weros, partially because he saved her life, but... Like, also, she saw him as a kindred in the kind of artificer range. So she was very much like, oh, I want to learn from this guy, but also I will defend him with my life at this point that she's going on. Because she hates being on ships, whether it's in the air or in the water. But she was like, okay, I'm doing this. I have to repay a favor, which plays out quite interestingly with this. Yeah, yeah, it does. Thank you for listening. Please leave a review, give a rating, subscribe, and share with your friends from wherever you get your podcasts, especially if they play D&D. It all helps Storytelling Breakdown reach more people and grow our community. Check out the SB blog and past episodes at storytellingbreakdown.com, and you can find us on Facebook and Instagram and reach out to our team at info at storytelling-breakdown.com. Our theme music is by Kurt Remke. Our logo is by Daniel Church, with campaign diary logos provided by Michael Ganser and Jeremy Stroop. Our podcast is hosted wherever you get your podcasts by John Dawkins and Wayne Shout Productions. Everyone has a story. These are some of our favorites. And this has been a Storytelling Breakdown campaign diary. SP Wayne Shout Productions. Wayne Shout. <laughs> <laughs>